I want to continue what we've been speaking of the last couple of weeks, and that is Satan's strategies for our lives. Last week we talked of Satan as the deceiver. This week we're going to speak of Satan the destroyer. And then weeks to come we're going to talk of Satan as the ruler and Satan as the accuser. And, uh, and I want to make sure that you all know that when we talk about Satan, we're not glorifying Satan. All right? I want us to make sure you understand that. I don't want anybody to think that we're preaching for Satan here. We're not preaching for Satan. What we're doing is we're educating ourselves of his strategies, of his tactics that he uses against us so that we can be wise and that we can know what happens. When he's coming to us, we can recognize his strategies and we can then protect ourselves against them. That's why we talk about this. We do know that Satan is not equal to God. God is God. Satan is a fallen angel. That's all he is. God will win. However, we are in a battle for our lives today. And we then have to be obedient to God's word so that we then can take up our strategies against the enemy. We have to put on the full armor of God, the word says, because he is a, he is a destroyer. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Peter tells us that Satan is roaming the earth, intending to kill and destroy as many people as he can. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. So we're being told right now that Satan is out to destroy, out to devour. And last week we talked about he, as the deceiver, attacks the mind this week, as a destroyer, we're going to talk about how Satan wants to attack our physical man, our physical body. So last week we talked about how Satan wants to deceive our minds, and, and, and the mind is a very active place of spiritual warfare, very active, where the devil gets into our, our mind and he plants seeds of, of doubt, of confusion, of lots, of lots of temptations, and that was a very, um, it was a good study. And if you want to listen to it, you're certainly welcome to go listen to it. It's on, the, it's on our website. But uh, today we're going to talk about how Satan uh, comes to destroy our body. If he can't destroy you, if he can't get at you through your mind, if he can't break through your, your, into your life through mess, messing with your, with your brain or with your thoughts, he will then attack your body. He's not going to give up. Let me tell you right now, he's not going to give up because he's on a mission. He knows his days are short, and he's coming, and he's, he's roaming the earth as a lion looking to see who he can devour. And if he can't get it you through your mind, then he will attack the next obvious thing, which is your body. An obvious example of this is given in Job. In Job chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, it says, The Lord said to Satan, Very well, then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Satan has the power to inflict as God allows. Other examples given in Matthew. Matthew chapter 9, verses 32 and 33. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed could not talk, was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said nothing, said nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. So this man was demon-possessed. The devil has the ability to affect him in that way. Another example in Matthew chapter 13, verse 16. Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound 
For 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. Jesus healed this woman who Satan had bound for 18 years. So there is no escaping the fact that Satan wants to and has the ability to attack the physical body. Now, why the body? Why should he want to attack the body? Well, there's numerous reasons. Number one, the body, our body is the temple of God. It's God's temple, and Satan wants to destroy everything he can that God makes. He's out to destroy every godly thing, and our body is the temple of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, tells us, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. We are made for godly purposes, and when Satan has opportunity to attack our bodies, he will. Another reason, our bodies are what God can use in this world to accomplish what his intentions are. Romans chapter 6, verse 12 through 13. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. What is an instrument? An instrument is a tool. An instrument is something that God wants to use in his righteousness to bring salvation to the world. We are what the world sees in our body. Satan is clearly out to get us to use our body against the purpose that God has given us for, and that is to bring him glory through the use of our body. And as a Christian, we are to honor God through the proper use of our body. We are to, we are to take care of it and treat it with honor and respect. What we do in and with our bodies is important to our Christian witness. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 10 and 11, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So we are to die daily of our fleshly desires. We are to take ourself, our mind, our old man, take it under control bring it under our spiritual submission to the Holy Spirit so that Christ can be glorified in our physical bodies. And this is what the world sees as a Christian. And is, do we honor God with our bodies or not? The question I would have for all of us today is, what is your witness to the world that you live in and how you honor your body as a temple of God? Are your fleshly actions honoring or dishonoring to God? Is Christ being revealed in your use of your body or is Satan? We've just been given the task to honor God, to let Jesus Christ be revealed within us. Because the devil wants to use our bodies for destructive purposes. Satan's purpose is to destroy. God's purpose is to reveal Jesus. Your choice. What are you doing with your body? We talked about Wednesday night in the Bible study that Satan knows that he's doomed. He may not have known that. In the Old Testament days, he might not have figured out 
prior to the moment that Jesus died on the cross, prior to the moment that Jesus took his last breath and he cried out, it is finished, Satan up to that point in time probably more than likely thought he won. But as soon as that Jesus said that last word and that earthquake shook and the sky went dark and that curtain was torn from the top down, did Satan finally realize that he made a major blunder because he just sealed his own fate when Jesus died, a perfect sacrifice. So now that he's died and, he's, and he's, Jesus has risen from the dead and, and Satan knows now that his time is up, it's just a matter of time for him. Again, Satan is not quitting. We might, in our perspective, think that the game's over and we might as well just quit because we know we're not going to win. But Satan may be so deceived in his own right, he may still think he's going to win. Or if not, I'll tell you what he is doing. He doesn't want to suffer alone. So he is doing everything he can in a fit of rage to take as many people to hell as he can. He does not want to suffer in hell. He knows, the word, the word is clear, that hell is reserved for, de- for Satan and his demons. It wasn't really created for humans. It wasn't. God didn't want human. He doesn't want any of us to perish. But because of our choices, if we make bad choices, then we are gearing ourselves up and we're lining ourselves up with Satan's will versus God's will, and we will spend eternity in hell with Satan if we don't make the right choices. So Satan is out to deceive us and to destroy us with our own choices. So understand that he is out and he's angry and he is enraged and he is trying to destroy as many people as he can because he does not want to suffer alone. However, we as Christians are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices for God and his purposes. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. See, the world lives to please the body. We feed it to excess, as in gluttony, or we starve it. We abuse it with alcohol, cigarettes, and drugs. We ravage it with self-inflicted diseases that very well could have been prevented as a result of of sexually transmitted diseases, such as AIDS and and other common diseases. And basically, the world has little regard to the body when it comes to preserving it for God's glory. What the world says is this, it's my body, I will live and do with it as I please. If I want to party it to death, if I want to abuse it with food, lack of or too much, if I want to have illicit or unprotected sex, what's it to you? It's my body. I'll do with it what I want. That's the world's perspective. But that's not honoring to God. Paul urged the Christian in the Roman church to offer their body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God as a spiritual act of worship. Basically, we have self-control of our bodily passions in order to honor God and to be good, good witnesses of who we are honoring and who are we living for. So Satan plays in the area of temptations of our body, seeking to destroy it, so we can't use it to honor God. Okay, another area that he, uh, that he attacks our bodies in is suffering. Our bodies are frail, we age, we get older, we have pains and aches and, and things, and, and that's just life. But Satan uses this in many ways as a weapon against us to make us suffer. Now, we know that a, a periods of suffering can actually be good for us because it can draw me closer to God. 
It can draw me closer. When I have that ache or that pain, it, it draws me to God and, and, it, and it gives me a reason to pray. And that's good. And that's the way we should look at suffering. But, you know, when suffering becomes chronic, when maybe that prayer isn't answered, like Paul had the problem with his body, that, that wound or that thorn, whatever that was, when it just wouldn't leave him, he prayed three times for God to heal him, and he didn't heal him, and, and, and Paul was confused a little bit, but he said, oh, my grace is sufficient. The Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. Continue on. See, the, the enemy will take that chronic suffering, and he will bring discouragement and depression and downheartedness, and it's hard to have the joy of the Lord when you're discouraged. I know that. I'm not trying to be... Uh, super spiritual here. I know that, and I've talked to people that have had chronic pain, and it's hard sometimes to break through. That's the devil wanting to bring, he wants to use suffering in your body to destroy your witness, to destroy your spirituality, to destroy your relationship with the Lord. And this is where we can have a major win against, uh, against Satan, is when we learn to bring that despair and that discouragement under submission to the Holy Spirit. We say, Lord, I'm suffering. My body is hurting. I've asked for prayer. I'm not healed. I don't understand why I'm not healed. I'm not here to explain why God heals some and not others. All I'm here to say is this. That when I come to that understanding that I don't understand, and I praise God anyway, I win. I don't need to understand. I just need to come to that understanding. And when I can say, Father, I know who you are, and I know where you are, and I know what you've done. You are sitting in heaven on the throne. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the creator of this universe. And you are that regardless of how I feel. I don't have to feel that to put you there. You're already there. So when I can grasp that and bring that into my mindset and that becomes who I am and I look at God in a way, irregardless of my feelings, that he is still the king of kings and the Lord of lords, then I bring and offer a sacrifice of praise to him and that is effective and that burns the enemy up. That is putting him back on his heels because he was using that to bring you down and you say, in spite of that devil, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to praise the Lord. I don't care how bad I feel. I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to get out of this chair. I'm going to get out of my home. I'm going to go to the church. I'm going to go to praise and worship on Sunday nights. I'm going to go to Sunday school. I'm going to go Wednesday nights. I'm going to go walk from the woods. I don't care where I go. But I'm going to praise the Lord, enemy, and you can't stop me. You can't stop me. You stop yourself. Understand your choices stop yourself. But the enemy cannot stop you from praising the Lord. Author William Wearsby of the book that I've been reading, The Strategies of Satan, says it this way, When God permits Satan to light the furnace, he always keeps his own hand on a the thermostat. God allows sometimes Satan to come in and light the furnace. But God is control of the temperature. God controls how hot, how hot it gets. This reminds me of what Jesus told Peter in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. It said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. 
There are, there are a number of things about this verse that I, that I like that gives me encouragement, even though that I may be sifted like Peter, and you may be sifted like Peter. The things that encourage me about this is this. Satan has to ask permission to sift us or to test us, meaning that he isn't able to sneak around unknowingly to God to destroy us as I'm serving God. Now the caveat is I'm serving God. I can't live my life in this world and expect God's protection. As I'm serving God, I am protected by the provision of God's word. Satan has to ask for permission to sift me. And he may. And God may very well grant that permission. But Satan can't do it unknowingly to God. That gives me a lot of courage. That gives me a lot of comfort to know that God knows my problems. God knows my sicknesses. God knows the testing that's come my way. I'm not alone. Understand that everything God in, intends, everything God a, allows, the sifting here, the testing process, the testing process is meant for something positive in my life. It's not meant to destroy me. It's meant for something positive to come out. And as I allow God's word, and I, as I allow God's process to happen in, that, happen in that process, I will be better off as a result. Satan doesn't look at it that way. He looks at it as a, to destroy. But I look at it and say, Lord, no, let your will be done. You honor me in the work. Jesus allowed Satan to sift Peter, but yet, here's the other encouraging thing, Jesus still prayed for Peter. He allowed it to happen, but then it says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. So here it is. God is allowing a fallen angel to sift me, but yet he's saying I'm still in control because Jesus said I'm at the right hand of the Father and I'm making intercession for the saints. And I am down here praying for you that nothing is going to overcome you that is going to be for your ultimate harm if you will continue to trust in me. So God is on my side. Jesus is on my side. Greater that is, with, is he that is within me than he that is within the world. I'm going to win. I have to keep Jesus there. I have to keep that focus there. Jesus knew Peter was going to fail him that day three times. When he said that, he knew that Jesus knew Peter was going to fail three times and deny him, but yet Jesus still prayed for him. That gives me encouragement to know that I'm not going to be perfect. I cannot live a perfect life. I'm going to fail. I'm going to fall. I'm going to make mistakes. Now, what I have to do, though, is I have to be honest about my mistakes, and I have to come back to God and say, forgive me, Jesus. And when he does, he forgives. But I have to go through the process of repentance, and I have to change my ways. We'll talk about that more. Secondly, when the sifting is over, Peter was to use the experience that he was to go through to strengthen his brothers. It says, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So the, the amazing fact is here that Satan can't control in our lives the, the, the impact necessarily. He, he, can, he can bring us all kinds of stress and troubles, troubles and problems, but he can't control my outcome. Jesus says, when, you're, when you've faced it, Peter, when you've gone through it, now go strengthen your brethren. Take what you've learned from me 
and teach others. And be available to others when they come to you and say, I'm going through a problem. You can say, you know what, I'm going to pray for you. I've been there, I've done that, I've been through that. And us older saints, be available to the younger Christians. Be available to the youth. Be available to those that are struggling. Don't overpower them and don't overwhelm them with what everything. But if, you're, if they're coming to you with a problem, then strengthen them and give them encouragement. And it's important that we then worship God in the whole midst of it. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Jesus is always the same. Now, often then, with this suffering and this chronic pain that comes through this temptation and and, and the battle of our body, comes impatience. We become impatient with God's will. That's where the enemy wants to work. He wants to get me impatient. He wants to get me doubting God's provision, doubting that God's going to come through for me in the end, doubting that he's going to be there for me, doubting that he's going to heal me, doubting everything about God. So now, therefore, I become impatient. James chapter 5, verses 10 and 11 is the only time that Job is mentioned in the New Testament. And James talks a little bit about Job in his perseverance. And he says, James 5, 10, 11, Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and, and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. See, Satan's purpose for Job was to do anything he could to get Job to renounce God and to die. That's what his intent was. He said, I'm going to, the only reason Job is, is serving you, God, is because you're protecting him. But let me add him. Give me some time, Adam, and I'll, and I'll prove to you that Job is no worse, no better than any other man, and he'll fall. So Satan's at, attack on Job was to make that happen. And Job's closest friends, even his wife, said, Job, curse God and die. But Job had perseverance, and he had patience. That's the key word here. Patience is a virtue. God's patience is something that has to reign in your life. When you become impatient, you will make mistakes. You will run ahead of God. And you will put yourself at a disadvantage. You'll put God at a disadvantage in your life because of your impatience. James chapter 1, verse 2 and 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And I like the way the message translation puts it. It says, You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. I know that when I'm in a problem, I want to do everything I can to get out of the problem just as fast as I can. Anybody got a witness here with me? Anybody like to be, spend time in the problem? No, my goal is to get out as quickly as I can. But I'm being admonished here by God's word not to do that. Be patient. Be patient. Let God work what God has to work in the process of the test, of the consequence, or whatever it is. 
Our impatience in the trials and the testing we have is our natural tendency to run ahead of God to fix things on our own. It's too hard to endure. It's too embarrassing to admit our struggles. It's too painful. It brings back unpleasant memories. Whatever the reasons are, we find ourselves not willing to, be, to patiently wait for God to bring the answers and the deliverance and the complete work of maturity. So we plunge on ahead, coming up with our own solutions. I'm guilty. Anybody else guilty? I'm guilty of this. I've had to ask for repentance for running ahead of God. I've had to ask for it. And it's hard. It's embarrassing. It's humbling. And I didn't like it. God's will in our life is often altered through the choices that we make. And here's the amazing thing about God is we are truly repentant and are proving it by making the life changes that need to make in order to not repeat the same bad choices or the similar ones, then and only then does God have the ability and the authority in our lives to redirect a bad choice that the enemy was using and planning for our destruction into one that will ultimately bring glory to God. And that will help us to grow and to be mature Christians. And here's the rub that many of us don't like in this scenario. The tough consequences of bad choices are still with us even while we're going through the area of repentance. We still have to deal with them even though we may, we may be going through the process of repentance and everything that we can do to bring restoration and, 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 and anything that would be considered normal in our life, the consequences are still there. We don't like that. We say, God, I'm forgiven, now take away my problems. And God says, I'm sorry, Mike, that's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. Godly sorrow brings godly repentance that brings godly victories that will last the test of time. Godly repentance is a lifestyle change that proves the repentant heart. Earthly sorrow brings a temporary repentance, meaning I'm basically sorry I got caught, that will be short-lived and ultimately still end in destruction, which is exactly what the enemy is trying to do our lives in the first place. So the only way that I'm going to win here is when I understand my responsibility to be repentant. That's what wins against the enemy. Not my ability to say, I'm sorry, then expect God to forgive me like that. There is work in repentance. And there's a process of repentance. And if I want godly repentance, and if I want godly sorrow in my life, it's going to take work. And then he will bring the true restoration. He will bring it. Not me. Our impatience in tough times is a tool the enemy uses against us. He wants us to doubt that God is going to get me through in the long haul. Therefore, I have to fix it myself. And by doing that, I am bypassing all the wisdom and growth that God wanted me to gain as a result of the testing process. And here's what hurts us even more. If we would have, had let, if we would have let God's purpose be known in the first test or trial, then we may have been, been we may be being spared others in life that later would come in God's attempts to teach us what He wanted us to learn in the first place. We talked about Jonah today in, in Sunday school. We talked about Jonah not listening to God's voice about going to Nineveh. God had to put Jonah in a bad spot, in the belly of a whale, of a fish, for three days and three nights. And then only after that did Jonah realize he made a mistake. And here's the thing about God. God is merciful and graceful and compassionate and he gives second chances. 
But if Jonah would have come out of that fish rebellious, do you think God would have given him a second chance? Don't waste the times of testing in your life. Be patient. Let God work it out according to the plan that he has. Understand that Satan is out to destroy, but God is out to restore in his timing when we have passed the test and learned what he wanted us to, to gain what ultimately will bring glory. It's all about glory to God's name. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about my family name. It's about the name of Jesus. And when I allow him to do the work and bring glory to his name, that is a mark of spiritual maturity. Impatience, on the other hand, is a mark of spiritual immaturity. Faith and patience go together. If we really trust God, then we will patiently wait for him to accomplish what he has promised. And when you find yourself impatient, you can rest assured that Satan and the flesh are at work in your life because he wants to make you have, he wants to make you make a hasty, quick, rash decision. He wants you to say something to someone before you think, to lash out in your haste, to vent your anger at them because that's just the way you, who you are. You're just being true to yourself. Or he wants you to move on to the next phase of life before you see the hand of God bringing the true repentance. Or he wants to, you to cover your indiscretions with worldly sorrow so that you don't have to deal with the real issues at hand, which would ultimately bring godly sorrow and would ultimately bring true godly repentance. He wants you to avoid the situation that makes you uncomfortable for the moment because you don't have the time to deal with it now. He wants, to, he wants to make you go ahead, take that next job promotion, get more money, do what you have to do at the expense of your family. It's all for them anyway. Go ahead, date that unbeliever that will ultimately lead to an unequally yoked marriage relationship with a divorce rate of 50% or higher. Go ahead, rush into it, be impatient, do it. That's the enemy's plan for your life. And God is saying, wait, slow down, be patient. Be patient. I've got something good in store for you. If you will only be patient and listen and wait for me, I will give you the desires of your heart, and I will line up your desires so that they'll be my desires, and then you will have the true will of God in your life, and then you will be satisfied forever. Now, do you see where this is all going? Impatience is also a mark of fleshly living. The flesh is always impatient, but the spiritual person full of the Holy Spirit is filled with the fruit of the Spirit, as it says in Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And here's that word, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, here it is, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us keep in step. Let's not run ahead. Let's not lag behind. Let's keep in step with the Spirit. That is spiritual maturity. Satan's destructive force comes in when we don't trust God enough to wait in patience and, and His perfect will to be done. Instead, we rush ahead and do it ourselves our own way. And then we get, when we get into trouble, we call out for God's help and then we have all kinds of excuses of why our idea didn't work. And what we're doing when we do that is that we're putting God at a real disadvantage. If God can be put at a disadvantage, we're, we've done it when we do that. Because now we go ahead and we come up with our own plan, our own ideas of what the future, what we think the future holds and what it's going to do for us. And then we claim God's blessing on it. We go out and we pray over it. 
We go pray for our businesses or we pray for our relationships. And God's saying, you know what? I wasn't in it in the first place. How is God going to bless something he wasn't in in the first place? Why? Because we were impatient. Because we didn't seek the, the will of God. So now, therefore, we are then putting God in a tough spot. Because he's saying, Mike, that's not what I want for your life. I want you to do something else. If you would have been patient, if you would have just waited on me a few more minutes, a few more hours, a few more days, a few more years, I don't care what the time is, if you had been waited for me, I would have given you what I really wanted. Now you've put yourself in a box. And now you're asking me to come and bail you out. Wow. Does that hurt? It hurts me. And then the world looks at us and we say, well, we trust God. We're, 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 we're claiming it. And God's saying, no, it's not my will. But I'm claiming it, God. God's saying, it's not your will. It's not my will. I'm not going to do it for you. Then what do you do? Then you've got egg all over your face. Now here we have a gracious God. And God will help us through those times. Thank God he will. But now I have to humble myself. And I have to fall down at God's face and his feet. And I have to say, God, forgive me because I ran ahead of you. Forgive me. Because I did things I shouldn't have done. Forgive me. And when I come truly repentant with a heart of grief and a heart of true heartfelt repentance over what I've done, he will forgive. But he won't do it if I'm doing it partially. Here's a good example. Another one of Satan's destructive strategies is in the area of partial truth. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I know of a lot of verses here, but this is important. Very, very important example of partial truth. You know what a partial truth is? A partial truth is a partial lie. A partial truth is a partial lie. So if you're not telling the whole story, what are you doing? You're lying. Where do liars go? Where? Hell. All right. Acts chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled you? With your heart, has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who had heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias paid for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Now, what were Ananias and Sapphira guilty of? They were guilty of telling what? 
a partial truth. See, they had no obligation to give the money. What it was, was they wanted to be somebody they weren't. Other people were giving great sums of money and properties to the church, and they came in and they made a plan to say, hey, let's look as good as everybody else. Let's sell our property. Let's, let's sell the property for $10,000, and let's keep $2,000 for ourselves. But well, then we'll tell people that we sold the property for $8,000. Nobody will know. Here's the deal. They could have done that and been honest, and it wouldn't have been a problem. Nobody said you had to give all the money. If they would have come, come to the early church, Peter and the disciples, and say, Hey, we just sold our property for 10000 bucks. I want to give 8000 to the church. They would have said, Wow, thank you very much for your generosity. Be blessed. And their life would have been great. But because they told the partial truth... God had to deal with it. You know why? Because God's justice system is what? It's just. God cannot forgive something that isn't, partial, isn't told in its entirety. Galatians chapter 6, 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. And the one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. God wants to use God. I'm sorry, Satan wants to use God's justice system against us. Understand that. He will use whatever means he can to destroy. And if he's got to use God's own system to destroy us, he will. But God cannot handle partial truth. He is a spirit of truth. And he wants everything. Just like I said at the very beginning of the service, when, God, when, when somebody says, uh, I want something from you, the natural, the natural response is, you can have it. You can have it all, God. I'm giving it all. I'm giving you my truth. I'm giving you my integrity. I'm giving you everything, and I'm not holding anything back, because if I hold something back, then I'm really not repenting. As we go to start to wrap this up, I know I've given you a lot of information this morning. But Satan comes, and he wants to destroy us through multiple ways. So there's a few things we need to do as we start to conclude this passage for this sermon. One is, number one, we need to submit to God. When you find yourself in the midst of the trial, immediately, here's the word again, immediately, don't wait. No, immediately submit yourself to God. What is waiting going to do? Waiting gives the devil an opportunity to give you excuses. Waiting gives the devil a foothold in your life to say, let's make up a story. Let's try to skate this one. No. When you find yourself in the midst of a problem or a trial or a consequence, immediately submit yourself to God. And then James chapter 4 says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Why would God want me to grieve and mourn and wail? I thought God was happy. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Here's the key. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. But if I lift myself up, 
And this is what we're going to talk about next week when it comes to Satan as a ruler. If I lift myself up in my pride, in my arrogance, and say, no, I'm not going to ask for forgiveness on this one. This is me. Wow. Okay. Fine. Don't rebel against God in time of testing. If you do, you give Satan a foothold in your life. Rather, give God authority. If you give the enemy authority by your rebellion to come in and do more damage, he will do that. You give him an opportunity, believe me, he'll be there in a heartbeat. Rather, submit yourself to God and then let God do the work that he wants to do in the midst of Satan's attack to destroy. You want a full life? Submit yourself to God. Number two, thank God for the trials. When you come to a place in your life that you can thank God and give him praise in the midst of Satan's attacks, you are then getting to the point of defeating him. You know how frustrating it is when you try to bug somebody and you just can't do it. I try to bug my wife all the time. And I'm pretty good at it. Isn't that, Chris? I'm bugging her right now. She's giving me that look. But you know what? If I can't bug her, it takes the fun out of it for me. If Satan can't get to me, it takes the fun out of it for him. And he'll go to somebody else eventually. Stand firm against the enemy. Don't give in. Don't compromise with him. Ephesians chapter 5.20 says, Always giving thanks to the God, the Father, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Give God the thanks for everything. And when I do that, I am, I am rubbing it in Satan's face. I'm saying, Satan, you've brought something here to destroy me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Lord, what the Satan is bringing to destroy, I am giving it to you, and I'm asking you to bless in the midst of it all. That defeats Satan. He flees from that because you're submitting yourself to God. Number three, get into God's Word and spend much time there. It's the only way you really know how to defeat the enemies by learning God's Word. You're not going to do it on your own ideas. You're not going to do it on what you think. Psalms chapter 119, it's what... It's what Andrew ministered to or talked about in communion. Verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. It was good for me, in verse 71, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. It's exactly what he said in communion. It's good that God afflicts me that I would learn the decrees of the Lord if I allow it to happen. Lastly, look for ways to glorify God in the midst of the struggle. Be a godly example of how to walk through tough times with a godly perspective and being sure to give him glory in all situations. Now I know it's 10 after 12. But I just want to give us all an opportunity to meditate a little bit on what the devil's trying to do in your life. What is he trying to do? Is he sifting you? Is he working on you a little bit? It's okay if he is. But our response to what we do with this is absolutely vital. How you respond to Satan's attacks will determine if you will live or you will die. Understand how serious this is. Understand. 
This is not something we play with. This is not a game. God cannot be mocked. He cannot be mocked. He will not be mocked. God demands justice, and his justice system is just. So this morning, it's up to you. If you want to, if you want to rebel, rebel. If you want to submit, submit. If you want to say, Lord, I don't understand this test. I don't understand it. Submit anyway. I'm going to give an opportunity for those, if you'd close your eyes, please. For those here this morning that are, will be willing to admit that they're struggling with something. Struggling with a test. Struggling with a sin. Struggling with a consequence. Struggling with something. It's important that you humble yourself before the Lord. It's important that you understand how important humility is. So while all eyes are closed, if you're struggling with something, would you raise your hand and acknowledge it to the Lord? I see that. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. I see those hands. I see all those. Amen. That's being bold. That's being honest. That's being honest that I have issues in my life that I need help on. And Lord, I'm going to humble myself before you. And I'm going to submit myself unto you. And I am not going to do this on my own anymore. That's humility. That's what, takes, that's what it takes to get through a test. That's what it takes to get through a consequence. You can put your hands down if you'd like. You can keep up and praise the Lord. It's up to you. We're going to sing a song. For all those that raised their hand or didn't raise their hand and want to come down to the front and pray, I invite you all to come down. I'm going to stay a few minutes up here. I just want to pray. I want to let the Holy Spirit's opportunity to work with you. It's important. Do not rush through this. You know what that's called? Impatience. Do not rush through this process. If God is working with you, what better place than to be at the altar to let him work with you? Do you think he's going to work with you any better in your car? When you're driving home, you know, you know what that's called? That's called escaping the presence of the Lord. It's called defying the presence of the Lord. If the Lord's dealing with you, this is the place to deal right here. So if you'd stand with me. Let's sing this song that Jackie's playing. And if the Lord's dealing with you, if you want to come down and pray, and this is not telling you you're a bad person, this is just saying, God, I need all you have for me. Help me, help me, and I'm humbling myself before you in Jesus' name. Let's sing. Let's come down the altar and pray. Thank you, Jesus.
I, uh, I need to make one more appeal because I feel the Lord still pressing on my heart today. Listen, folks, this is not about emotion. This is not about coming up here and weeping before the, the Lord. It's not about your emotions at all. What it is about is your willingness to submit. But there are people that need to be here. Probably a lot of people that need to be at this altar right now. And you're not. And you know what? I don't get paid more when people come to the altar. But I'm asking you for your for your spiritual life. Why are you stubborn? Why? I feel the Lord asking, calling me up in the spirit. Why are you resisting me? Why? You know why? Because Satan has a firm hold on your life. You think you're spiritual. You think you're a godly man. You think you're a Christian. But I tell you what, there's going to come a day called reckoning, and he's going to say, I knew you not, because when you had times to be submissive, you didn't submit yourself. I hate saying this. This is not me. I'm a peace-loving man. I'm a middle child. I don't, call, I don't like confrontation, but when the Holy Spirit places it in my heart to say it, I'm going to say it, because I'm not going to be held accountable for it come judgment day on me, because I've got to call it out. And there are people here that need to be repenting over sin, and it's probably 95% of us. This is about all of us knowing what it is to have a repentant heart. Someday you will thank me that I did not rush through this time because somebody's lives are going to be changed today because they're not going to give they're not going to give in to the enemy anymore. They want to change. And that's what repentance is. It's a change. Satan, we're taking we're taking ground right now because people are submitting to you. They're coming and they're being submissive. They're not being manipulated here by a preacher that's yelling. They're, being, they're, being, they're submitting to the voice of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is calling. And now we're being obedient to listen to it and walk out in it. And now, Satan, you are losing. You're losing a major battle right now in the lives of people. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Devil, you have no authority here now in Jesus' name. We're going to praise you. We're going to worship you, Jesus. We're going to give you praise and glory. And we're going to walk and step into your presence because we're submitting our lives into your hands. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jackie, let's sing that song again. Let's just praise and worship it. And let's just, let's just hunker down here a little bit, guys. Let's just let the Holy Spirit do His work.
something that helps a lot. If you were, t if you're standing by yourself, just put your arm around the person next to you if you're comfortable doing this. If you're comfortable, find someone that you can pray with and pray with them. And I'll tell you, what releases faith in your life is when you pray for somebody else. When you can pray for somebody that releases the faith in your life, if you're comfortable, do that. And just let the Lord continue to work and do the work and the, the process that he has in your life. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You're welcome to stay and pray as long as you like. I encourage you to come back tonight. Just continue on and praise the Lord and let him continue to do his work. Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for pressing in today and for not letting us off the hook for our own benefit, for your glory. Thank you, Jesus. Now continue the work. Finish the work, Lord, that you're starting in the lives of people today and complete it. And I pray a protective uh, arm of, of your love around people today as they leave this place. I know some are going to walk out thinking and they're going to be hit by the enemy immediately as they walk out. The devil's going to want to steal what was given in their heart today. And devil, you can't do that because we're placing Jesus' hedge of protection upon all these people today. In Jesus' name. Go throughout this day with us, we ask. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.